You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one podcast for all things communication, advertising, and marketing. I'm your host, Ted Lau, award-winning agency owner, podcaster, and full-time dad. Today, we have with us Arthur Pertazio. Arthur is an award-winning multi-platform writer, director, and narrative designer, known for his work on the Emmy-nominated series Now Generation and the games Wonderbox, The Adventure Maker, Cobra Kai, The Karate Kid, Saga Continues, Sword Legacy, Omen, and Angus. The last two that I just listed were actually winners of Best Game, Best Storytelling, and Best VR. Arthur has worked on both independent and blockbuster IPs, and in 2015 founded storytelling studio Fableware Narrative Design. Arthur has collaborated with Disney, Sony Pictures, Samsung, Team 17, TV Globo in Brazil, and Netflix. And he shares the knowledge acquired as creative writing professor at the University of British Columbia. Arthur, welcome. Thank you so much, Ted. It is amazing to be here and to get this chance to talk with you and uh, just discuss storytelling manifested in marketing. Yeah, man. Well, hey, thanks for your time. I, you know, you and I have met uh, a few years back uh, when you kind of first arrived in, in the city and, and on the scene, but you had done a lot of great things by then. And, and actually, when we met, you were talking about, you know, the work that you've done with Disney and all these kind of things. And I really got interested in how detailed you are when it comes to storytelling. So maybe tell me a little bit, tell us, you know, the audience a little bit about, you know, what you do from a storytelling perspective, especially when it pertains to games and different kinds of platforms. For sure. It's it's actually a very interesting question because whenever I think of myself as a content creator, given my experience in the video game industry, um, there are many who immediately associate me with the act of just writing a story or a script for a game. But I do think that if we take a step back, what I do really, and what essentially what every storyteller does, just really depending on the platform that you're dealing with, and in my case, that's why I take so much pride in in being a multi-platform professional, because it's really about devising a message, establishing what is your core, core, core meaning, what is the the essential symbol that cannot miss from that experience and then finding the best ways to communicate it through a specific platform. And then of course, when you analyze different platforms, you think of the strengths and weaknesses of comic books, of video games, of TV, of film and so forth. So really what I do is just look critically at content and think when dealing with this specific type of content, what's the best way to make it as accessible as possible. But of course, thinking of the emotional techniques that we can use to make sure that the messages be understood in a way that we think is interesting. If it's if it's a thriller, we want that to be to create tension. If it's a comedy, we'll want that obviously to to relieve tension. We want that to generate laughs. If it's uh, an action game, for example, then it's a lot more focused on the mechanics and the way in which those mechanics empower the player to typically feel more uh, to feel stronger or to, if it's a, a fighting game, to deliver the proper blows. It's every platform and every genre even takes that discussion one step forward. So you have to really, really look closely at what story you want to tell and how you're telling that story. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, your focus on multi-platform is one that's very interesting to me. 
I grew up, you know, childhood 80s, watched a lot of movies, and I still do a bunch of Netflix. However, I missed the whole, you know, video game boat for whatever reason. I, I didn't get my Nintendo or Super Nintendo NES or whatever it was, the Sega Genesis, and I never really got onto the, the video game platform. And I was always curious about, you know, how you can do as a professional, tell stories you know, how do you take the, the film element and, and put it into games when, you know, games is so interactive. It's kind of like that whole choose your own adventure type experience. Um, how do you weave a narrative through that? So it's so interesting you mentioned that and even your childhood experience, right? Watching either cartoons or movies, etc. And I went through the same thing with the added element of the of video games, right? It's it's And it's so interesting because you mentioned as well, the comparison between video games as a medium and then when when put side by side with movies, for example. But if we take a look historically at video games, they weren't always the cinematic experiences that we know today, right? I remember yeah. when I started playing uh, on, on the Apple and I was playing, I remember this game called Computer People, which in my opinion is like the the precursor of the sims everyone knows the sims and the sim is fantastic the sims is like this this amazing expanded immersive dollhouse experience right made for everyone but but computer people was really just this simple game where you had a man in a house and you would type things like go play pool or go take a shower, or go do this. It, it didn't, I mean, depending on, on how deep we're taking this as a game design discussion, you can even question if it was really a game because typically games have goals. You have the, the idea of risk versus reward. So if there's no risk, then is there a reward? If you're just telling the character to do something, what's the difference between a game and a toy? And that's a whole other discussion, which is very interesting and fascinating, by the way. But really, I just want to point out that we had like, for example, when it comes to storytelling, lots of text adventures. And these text adventures were essentially what you said, the choose your own adventure aspect of it, but they had no visuals. Like one of the, the most notable games to, to be sort of like a choose your own adventure experience that had visuals back then was Mystery House. And I think this was in 85. And still, you would, um, you would have a bunch of other games that were just really text, no images whatsoever. So would it be possible to say that these games were drawing their influence from from TV and film? I would say not. They were drawing their influence from literature. And and what I really like about video games is that as technology evolved, of, co of course, we're talking about the processing power of consoles, right? From all the way from the Atari to oh, today we have the PlayStation 5, for example. And also other, other types of technologies that go hand in hand with that. Uh, for example, VR or... Even the accessories that at some point were developed for the consoles when we had games like Rock Band and people had their own guitars and electric drums. So really, technology goes hand in hand with video games and it directly influences the type of stories that are told. But I do think that on the content side, there is such an interesting mix, such an interesting exchange between platforms because it's at, at certain moments you will see video games being inspired by movies. And then you see you see even this connection happening. Like you have now the uh, adaptation of the game, The Last of Us taken to the HBO series and it's still not out yet, but I'm really looking forward to it because the game itself was a linear game that very much represented a very well-made movie. And on the other hand, you have all sorts of games. For example, one of my favorite games 
is Papers, Please. It's a very critical game. It talks about like political issues. It talks about issues of what happens to people who want to cross a border. And you are the immigration officer and you have to check documentation. So it has such a strong political stance to it, a social discourse to it. But when you play it, it's not exactly cinematic. It's more of a very mechanical game where you're doing a lot of of cross-referencing between documents. You're checking someone's passport and seeing if they're still valid, if they're still in the expiration date. So would you say that is a, a an, an inspiration to coming directly from, from movies, for example? Um, I would say not. I would say that it's closer to perhaps maybe a board game where you're checking around your your pieces and you're seeing if you have the right numbers. It's more of a of a puzzle game in, in many ways. So I think it's a huge, 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 huge mixture of several influences. But I do think that the evolution of technology plays a big role in how we decide to tell these stories. Well, let's let's dive right into that. So the evolution of technology, that's definitely changed, right? Like I do remember playing some games and you're right. It was very much basically choose your own adventure came out of literature and it was like one image and a bunch of text that came on. But now you got VR, you have metaverse, you have all these type of, you know, like there are, I have people that work on my team that basically their entire social life is, is with people online. I don't think they've actually met most of their, their cohort, but they're, you know, tight and they're, they got their posse and whatnot. But how has technology informed you on making changes in how you do storytelling? Or it has storytelling really not changed and it's just the technology's changed? I think technology, and this applies to video games, but not just video games. I think technology has played a super important role in empowering the user, empowering um it, it, it created the distinction between a viewer and a participant. And I typically say participant because if you're a player, people immediately associate that experience to video games. But if you say participant, it could be a VR movie that you're watching and you're not necessarily interfering with it, but you're still participating. You're still immersed in that experience. And I think that's the first step technology. And I remember even as a kid, I remember when I would get games like, for example, Mortal Kombat. And Mortal Kombat is a fighting game, but I would decide to play it just, I would get the two controllers. So I would choose the the multiplayer mode, but I wouldn't have someone with me. I would use the two controllers to play out a fight, almost as in like, um, think of it as theater, you know, like almost like a stage play. And I would have one character talk to to each other. Almost, it's almost like, again, I mentioned The Sims as a dollhouse. Like think of now, subverting Mortal Kombat and using it as a a dollhouse experience. You're having the characters talk to each other and then you decide you have the fight play out and you decide who stays alive and who in that case is defeated. And that was only possible because it was it was like the evolution of of me grabbing um, some action figures and then figuring out what would happen if they were uh, facing each other. But with the digital component added to that. And then if we we if we go forward, what we also see from that experience is because these tools offer me a new possibility and because I feel empowered, I also want to I feel encouraged to experiment. And that's another area where I think video games and digital content, for the most part, are really, really, really insightful to us, uh, not only on a societal level, but uh, when it comes to content creation, we look at games today that are super immensely popular. Uh, we can start with Minecraft, but then let's take a look at Roblox. You know, these are all, and we could even call them metaverses, right? But mm-hmm. these are all realities, digital realities 
where people are creating their own content. And even if we take a step back and not look specifically at video games, what is the YouTube culture? What is the TikTok culture? What is the Twitch culture? We are necessarily in an age where the tools have been democratized. They have been made accessible to the audience and the audience has taken this next step forward again as not just mere audience, as not just viewers, but now we are participants and even creators. And and that has taken that has expanded in, in so many ways, even right now we're, we're recording, a, recording a podcast. And what's the best way to explain a podcast to someone who is potentially old school and maybe only had contact with the radio? You just say, hey, it's it's like a radio show, but it's online. But you're still using those references to make them understand. It's just that when when we only had the radio around, it's not everyone that could just be like being on the radio. That was like for the very select few. And what we now have is we have this platform, these platforms, actually, it's not just one, right? But we have several platforms that empower people to experiment and to communicate and share those messages. And again, that is because of the technological impact and the tools above all that are offered. And this extends on so many levels. As a final example, it also extends to the creation, the actual technical creation of video games. Nowadays, we have tools. Of course, when I say nowadays, they have been around for decades. But if we look at Unity and Unreal, the two most famous uh, game engines, right? Tools that people use to build their own games. These are libraries of code that just facilitate, that make people's lives easier. And before then, it was, I even remember one of those... Um, uh, there was a meme with Bane from The Dark Knight Rises and with that classic like Bane voice, you know, with the mask, he would say something like, oh, you think developing a game is easy? I come back from the age where we had to write <laughs> our own code, you know? So <laughs> it's so interesting to see how these tools, um, they they facilitate the process in many ways, but then they open up new avenues for the content creation itself. It's like you're spending... It, depending on the experience you want to create, but you get you get the luxury of spending less time on the technical aspects, and you get to invest more time in the content itself. Okay, that that's really cool. Now the you talked about experimentation, democratization. Uh, you know, lots of user generated content. People can make their own games, but story fundamentally is is why we're here for this conversation today because it is critical for a game that succeeds or a movie that succeeds or a book, that, whatever that might be, that experience is fundamentally as marketers, communicators, story is crucial. But when you have this democratization of, of the, the, the narrative, how do you, cause I always see like the storyteller is someone that's kind of like almost the puppet master. You kind of want to guide someone through from A to B and then they come to a conclusion and then they take an action. At least that's how I see it as an advertiser, as a marketer you clearly wouldn't because I mean, there's so many possibilities, right? So how do you take on a project when Disney calls you, Samsung calls you, Netflix calls you to, to take a property that they have, make it into an experience that is immersive, yet the story still flows. Like I have, I, I don't know the first thing about that. So that's, you know, I wanted to ask you that. Well, but it's super cool that you mentioned uh, the puppet master aspect of it. Just comparing, let's put it this way, interactive media with, let's say, passive media. And when you're watching a movie, think of it as a roller coaster. You have this finely detailed 
arc of tension. You have the story flow established. You have act one, act two, act three, or five act if you want. You can use the hero's journey uh, structure, but you have that story, the story planned out. Is that the case for video games? Yes, you also need planning. The difference is that whatever you plan, for example, people love to say, oh, with technology, the possibilities are infinite. Well, the truth is they're not because you have to code. You have to plan the possibilities. So they are always finite. You know, you, you, there is no infinite boundary. You can aim for the stars, but you will always have to prepare that groundwork and establish exactly where your player, your participant is able to, to interact. And what that means is that really when you're creating a story in an interactive setting, depending on the story you're creating, but for the most part, you're really an illusionist, right? You're offering the tools so that the players feel, wow, I can make these decisions and these decisions will take me on different paths. And that is true. As a creator, you did have to develop and write and plan these huge flowcharts that have several different branching up possibilities. But again, they had to be planned. It's not like you could say, do whatever you want, even for games like Minecraft and Roblox. So for example, going back to your question, whenever I'm working with a client or partner on a project, the first thing I ask, like the first thing, it's what's the core message we're communicating here? Because this is the same, this is where many platforms share this unique denominator, this, this common denominator, right? Which is, what is our log line? Like you check out any TV show Bible and they're going to have at least probably at the very beginning, if not the first page after the title cover, they're going to have what is our log line in one sentence? We are defining this experience. And that is so true because even though the best experiences are layered, meaning you start with a high level concept and then you start going down deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper you still need to work with something that is immediately accessible. That's the concept. Like in marketing deals with that all the time, right? The more you, you, you flood, uh, let's say, a specific ad or whatever it is you're creating, the more you flood it with that information, very likely the less powerful it will be because your audience will not know what to pay attention to. But the more concise you are, and, and also not just the more concise, but... The better your emotional hook, because believe, like that's the thing we're dealing with. Storytelling is about dealing with emotions. We can look at big brands. We can look, we can even look at Coca-Cola, for example. Coca-Cola is very known for its branding, especially during Christmas time. But you never watch a Coca-Cola ad and they get to tell you what's in Coca-Cola or what's what the what the soda, what the pop is made of. What you really see are people having a good time. No matter what they're doing, they could be playing football. They could be, um, I don't know, they could be just ha having dinner. That's super common, right? It's like you see this ad every year. It's a family having dinner, having Christmas dinner, and they're all smiling and laughing. And you can even hear, I can even hear right now just the sound of the bottle being opened, you know? The fizz. And just the, the yes. Fizz. <laughs> and the fizz. And and it's so impressive, right? That's the same logic that we have with um with audio logos. You know, it's like the Netflix with the doom doom. It's the same thing. The fizz from Coca-Cola is the Netflix doom doom. And that those patterns, they create emotional connections. So storytelling is all about creation, creating emotional connections. The thing is, when we're working with video games, we're, we're working with uh, virtual reality. 
we're, we're looking for other ways to create these emotional connections and interactive media specifically, these emotional connections, they are created by the actions that the players, that the participants can perform. And that is why also this is something that I find absolutely fascinating, which is how the genres are divided differently depending on what medium you're talking about. So if you ask someone, if they go to the movies and they say, Oh, yeah, I went to watch uh, just recently. I watched Spider when Spider-Man No Way Home. And um, if someone asks like, oh, what's the genre? And I'm going to say, oh, it's a um, it's a superhero movie. It's like an action adventure. And notice how I'm um, I'm focusing when I say superhero, I'm bringing back that um, that emotion. It has some comedy in it, in it so it has some jokes, etc. There's a dramatic, strong, dramatic element to it. But then when you say action adventure in the video game industry, you are not necessarily talking about the um, the characters and the emotional vibe. You can have an action adventure game that has no superheroes involved at all. You can you can even think of like you can say things like puzzle. Puzzle is a genre. You can say things like 2D side scroller platformer. These are and think of it platformer. How? Uh, how technical can you get with that? How more? How much more technical can you get with that when you say platform? It's a game about jumping on platforms. And then you have all sorts of stories that encompass that, that mechanical experience of jumping on platforms. You have, in fact, one of them, a very interesting game is called Thomas Was Alone. And it's just about using a geometrical uh, uh, shapes to tell the story in a very symbolic way. But then you have other platformers, Mario Brothers, for example, which which has this very distinct representation of characters. Even if it's a, a fantastical world where a plumber is coming in to save a princess from these weird dinosaurs. So it's not fantastical. That that could happen, not at it? all. <laughs> <laughs> just just go into the pipe and you'll end up in the other world. <laughs> Eat a mushroom. <laughs> I so, interrupted so, you, but uh, you know, but I, I wanted, ahead, I wanted to kind of, to kind of jump in there because you know we we have a lot of advertising marketers in this in this space, and in in this audience, and and I wanted to see, you know, I have a daughter who now you know on her iPad playing games and all that kind of stuff, and I was kind of hanging out, and there was an ad that showed up, and the ad itself was a game. It was actually a little game, a little immersive. She stayed on the freaking ad for, I don't know, like the whole time of the duration of that because she was playing with said game. So do you have any insight for advertisers who maybe want to, you know, they're not going to jump in as, as hard as you with, with Cobra Kai or, or, or Sword Legacy or whatnot, right? Like to, to do the whole story. But is there uh, uh, some tips and tricks that you want to share when it comes to making these little pseudo game ads? For sure. I think that just as I mentioned keywords such as empowerment and experimentation, there is one thing which I find fascinating. I was just talking about the differences between movies and games, right? And if you ask someone, uh, again, going back to the Spider-Man example, you ask someone, hey, hey, what did you think of the movie? And they say, oh, so Peter Parker, Spider-Man did this and that and da 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 But if you ask them if they played the Peter Parker, sorry, the Spider-Man game, they're not going to say Peter Parker did that. They're going to say, I did this. I did that. I beat the villain. I beat, even if it's the Green Goblin, they're not going to say, Sp and then at the end, Spider-Man beat the Green Goblin. No, they're going to say, I beat the Green Goblin. So what's super interesting about this is the difference in which people connect to that content. You were mentioning the example, the case that happened with your daughter, like she was playing the, the game, the ad, which was really a game. But again, these were her decisions. So um, what's super interesting about this is 
we when we think of creating content, regardless if it's for marketing, if it's just uh, uh, for TV or film or or video games, it's really about thinking, if I have a core message, how can I make my audience feel responsible for that core message? Because one thing is sharing that core message with them, right? That's that's exposition. That's saying, hey, there's this issue. This happens a lot with documentaries, right? There's this issue happening in the world and we need to be conscious of it and we needed to be, do something about it. But I'm going to give you a very, very, very cool example. Um, I used to teach, um, a few years back, I used to teach uh, just... The, how to apply video game logic to the marketing industry. And I taught that at the, um, there was a school, the Miami ad school. And I had some students there that I just showed them, talked to, talked with them about the genres, the different genres and video games, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Cut to what, three years later, maybe three and a half years later. And one of my students, ex students just got in touch and told me, Hey, Look what I did with what you shared during your class. So basically, here's what they're doing. There's this project called, I think it's GTA plus three degrees. And they're using Grand Theft Auto. They're using specifically San Andreas, which is the GTA representation of California. And they're using GTA to show what is going to happen to the world because of global warming once three degrees go up. So you're going to have floods. You're going to have all sorts of natural disasters. You're going to have serious consequences. And they're being represented in the game. And you can play the game because it is a modification of GTA. And you can play GTA, which is, again, even for... I think GTA, honestly, as a series, it is fascinating. It works, uh, it does a fantastical job when it comes to just creating immersive storytelling. But let's say you have a, a different perspective. Let's say you think, ah, GTA, come on, it's that game where you're committing crimes. It's that game where uh, it's it's not really appropriate for, for, for people or maybe just adults. But now here you have GTA, the same technological structure, represented in a completely different light and it's being used to get people to live in that space that just really makes you understand even if not in the flesh and bone but at least in the metaverse you get and understand the consequences of global warming so i think that delivers a much stronger message in the sense that people can interact with the world and see the consequences of that world that's why when it comes to storytelling and I mean, first of all, that's why I'm a storyteller and that's why everything I create has a, 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 a narrative drive to it because my main goal is sharing messages and getting people to think critically about their decisions in real life, but of course using art and entertainment as an inspiration, but getting them to think about those decisions because every decision comes with the consequences. It's just that in life, because we don't travel through time, we can't really see the, the immediate, necessarily for all of the decisions we make, the, the immediate consequences. But in a game, yes, we can. In, in, in very famous and popular games like The Witcher or even the Telltale games, The Walking Dead and Batman, etc., you get to see... Uh, very interesting details like the Telltale uh, series. It is known for just doing one thing, which is super curious when you have a dialogue choice in a game. And let's say there's a character that requires of you a very specific decision and you can choose to help them or not. Regardless of what you choose, typically the Telltale games would show at the top, I think, left corner of the screen. It would show something like this character will remember this. And you don't know what's going to happen in the future, but just because the game decides to show you that little message, you're already on edge. Like, oh no, what did I do? Or yes, I'm confident of my decision. 
So it's so interesting because that's what really what games allow us to do. They they give us the opportunity as interactive experiences to to find out what really happens when we make a decision. We, we there are consequences for every single decision we make in life. But in games, we get to test that reality. And by testing that reality, hopefully that will make us more conscious in the real world as well. That's that's a lot. I mean, I, I loved your comment around the the fact that you're wanting it to be less of an exposition, but more to have folks find that responsibility for their decision. I think that's super powerful with regards to uh, let, let's dive into, you know, platforms. We talked about uh, an IP and, and, and how franchises work. So, you know, you just did Cobra Kai recently. That's that's it. When we re- reconnected, you were like, hey, Ted, I did Cobra Kai. I'm like, oh, man, I've been watching it because, you know, I grew child of the 80s. But there's a lot of power to that, right? Like like you, you said GTA, you said Witcher. I mean, um, we didn't talk about this, but like League of Legends, I, the only, you know, I, I know my staff play it. And then I, you know, I watch Arcane on Netflix. So so let's let's talk a bit about that. And then I actually want to dive into the metaverse. But let, let's talk about that first, the power of the franchise and, and how you see that evolving over the next, I don't know, 10, 15 years. For sure. I think along, I mean, I'm just uh, collecting key, uh, key, like just keywords as we go, right? But um, aside from empowerment and experimentation, I think there's also the concept of connection, of relatability. And... What we see today are several franchises and several intellectual properties really making sure that they establish a strong foothold and that they are there in the industry for decades to come. I mean, a very obvious example of that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. If you think about it, like you have and it, and it's and it can be very daunting. I think it's so interesting because I was thinking about this recently. What's the balance right between having too much content and too little content? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, the whole idea of it is a universe is being created and this universe serves as the is the bedrock is the the really the foundation for all of the stories you will be able to tell. Taking Cobra Kai as an example, right? Uh, my work was understanding the show and adapting the show to an interactive format. And I had to, at the same time that I had certain liberties that I could make good use of, I also had to be very mindful of the IP, of its message, of its tone. And everything that I did obviously went through the approval of the Cobra Kai team at Netflix, at Sony, and 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 they would offer very valuable feedback. So, for example, a, a case that I like to exemplify in the case of the game is that from a game development perspective, from a game design perspective, the Cobra Kai game needed to have like freezing punches and flaming kicks because it's Cobra Kai, Johnny Lawrence representing anger and all of this rage and this resentment from the past years. And then you have Daniel LaRusso representing Mr. Miyagi and the Zen like stance and the, and the mindfulness of it and the peace like aspect of it and the defense right above all. So, so there is a strong concept there, which we were working with it ever since its beginning. You cannot deny that Cobra Kai is about rivalries. Again, it's about two characters who 34 years later are still doing this. They even uh, use this line at one point 
in the show and they call it the warring dojos, you know? So it's these dojos, uh, just like you had the warring states in feudal Japan, you have the warring dojos in modern day California. And how can you bring that same rivalry to the game? Of course, we had the two dojos, you have the two different characters. I would make very often callbacks to moments in, in this show. So I would have characters reference specific episodes or situations that happen. I would develop further their connection. But there was one issue. Again, we don't have freezing kicks and flaming punches in the in the show. It's not it doesn't take that step towards the the uh, the fantastical. Right. But the game did. So what I figured out was, well, I can still tell a a, a story that feels unreal, but is still relatable if I frame that. Um, in the characters, not the adults, but in the teenagers. And then what you have is two narrators and these two narrators are Hawk and Dimitri from the show and they are unreliable narrators who are actually trying to tell their own versions of this tall tale of how all of these fights happened to the school principal so each of them has their own version and of course in their own version Cobra Kai would win Miyagi-Do would win and then of course something else that I did was if you play as the two dojos you get to see the convergence between the, these two stories and you get to find out really the true ending let's put it that way or if there is some some truth to what both of them are saying or how they can find out what are the the differences so again this was fantastic because if you think about it, uh, I got the chance to create this original tale, but it was still in the Cobra Kai universe. And at one point, we even discussed internally, hmm, wouldn't it be cool if we had a a blank slate character, like a, a new like a, a new kid on the block who's just arriving here to the West Valley High School? And then we thought, yes, that would be fun. And if you could make decisions, etc. But at a first glance, this is the, this is like this is the first time we get the, the opportunity to take the Cobra Kai um, show to the interactive world. Who do we know that characters really relate to? It's the characters in the show. So we have to prioritize Johnny, Daniel, Dimitri, Hawk, Sam, Tori, Robbie, and so on. We need to make sure that these characters feel good to play with, and that you, especially all, especially above all, you can play with them. Right. You can. You, so that was our priority. And again, that wouldn't be our priority if we um, if our focus wasn't on making sure that players were able to connect with the characters that they already saw on the show. What we did really was look at the show, get a really good understanding of the core message of rivalry and metaphorically represent that rivalry in different ways. It wasn't just about the dialogues. Of course, we have dialogues in the game, but that rivalry manifests itself in the fact that you can play as both sides. You can be Miyagi-Do or you can be Cobra Kai. And if you're Johnny, you will fight Daniel. And if you're Daniel, you will fight Johnny. But if you get to the true ending, you get to see also that there are some moments of bonding between the two dojos. And maybe there is that's also an interesting potential uh, alternative path as a solution for the dojos. So it's, again, really about the, the way I like to see it is mechanics in a game. They are they are metaphors, right? You have emotions that you want to communicate in the story, and then you have the tools to communicate those emotions. 
And in movies, we do that with camera work. In games, we do that with camera work as well. You have specific framing in movies and, and TV. And then you also have very similar elements. But then again, that's why going back to our initial uh, question or the topic that we started with, that's why we have these connections between literature and movie making and filmmaking. Because games, they combine a little bit of both from several different uh, platforms. And again, that's how we get the opportunity to expand IPs, to expand franchises without repeating content. Because that's the main difference between adapting content, just adapting content, but uh, in a sense that you're repeating the story. Of course, we have several of those, right? If you take a look at... Uh, um, Many, uh, many licensed games are usually, hey, you watch the movie, now play the movie. But what we wanted to do here is like, what happens if we create a story that actually completes or even expands this world? It's what um, at the time they became super, super famous for this. But it's the transmedia approach that The Matrix uh, did back then. And you had the movie The Matrix and you had the second movie Matrix Reloaded, but you had the game Enter the Matrix or even the animations from Animatrix that would complete that lore, that sense of lore in that world. So really, it's 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 about understanding the IP, that world and looking into interesting ways of expanding that world. Just like, again, just to wrap this this example, but. Um, if you look at Cobra Kai, Cobra Kai has also been taken to other uh, platforms and other mediums uh, in other cases. So there's if you look up, there's a, a comic book uh, adaptation of the Karate Kids movie. And then you get to see in that comic book adaptation, you get to see some scenes that were not in the movie. So even though it's still in that, an adaptation of the movie, the story that you saw in the movie, you do get to see some extra content. And what we wanted to do with the game is this is all extra content. You get to to play this different alternative reality that is still in the world of Cobra Kai. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's talk, let's move to the metaverse. So you talked about, and well, you made cited a number of examples of, you know, this was an example of metaverse, Roblox is an example of metaverse, but it really only got into the public uh, mind's eye, I would say when Zuckerberg decided to change, you know, Facebook uh -huh. to, to meta. Now, now everyone's talking about it, but is it really that much of a departure than what we had, I don't know, six months before the announcement? Um, wasn't it? not always going to just merge that way anyway, anyhow, or, or what, what are your thoughts around that? My perspective is, of course, we have the evolution of technology, 
but it's not as if we didn't have the the main elements of the metaverse already like around for even years back like one of the second life yes i was gonna say that (laughs) second life perfect example and you know what's super interesting because when second life started people looked at it as this opportunity to just connect with each other like think of like just this big internet forum like threads think of like reddit or whatever it was just like a a a, Mm -hmm. uh, a digital reality reality reddit you know you could meet with people you could talk with them but then wait second life let's take a step back did any of you play ultima online did any of you play so many rpgs that already did that with the added factor that you were your own character role-playing your your lives and you already and, and I mean, I remember when I used to play a bunch of uh, Neverwinter Nights, which is also an RPG and Neverwinter Nights back then had a, 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 an online mode that was fantastic. It was a mode where one person could be the dungeon master and all of the other players would join the session and the dungeon master would create the environment in real time, just create the levels so that people could go through that uh, through that adventure. And it's the same exact exact experience. I mean, of course, you have the digital component added, but I mean, structurally speaking, it's the same experience that you would have when you're playing a tabletop RPG. So, but if you wanted to just join the server and not necessarily play a dungeon, if you just wanted, I did that. My character was a bard and I would go to the tavern and I would just like recite poetry on the spot and I would recite poetry and then I would talk to other characters and we would role play, right? So I wasn't Arthur, really, I was the bard. But as the bard, I would just uh, have this this casual communication and conversation with people who were already part of that world. What I mean to say is the social aspect of it was already there. Whether Mm -hmm. people chose to role play or not, People were already using these structures as a place to chat. You know, it was like you had the visuals added. You had the interaction. I remember, for example, if I saw someone, I would bow. I was this bard who was reciting poetry. So I had animations that I could use to even represent what I how I felt. But but how my character was physically portraying themselves in that specific digital world. So I think it's very uh, strange to say that now we have the metaverse. Honestly, I think we've had it for a long, long time. We just didn't call it the metaverse. You know, we call it either by the title of the project, by the product as in Ultima Online or Ragnarok or Lineage or Choose Your RPG. And if we go back to to, to Second Life, which, what was so interesting about Second Life is that, yes, I do think Second Life um, broke frontiers in the sense that it wasn't although people could go to just mingle and socialize eventually companies corporations and institutions Mm -hmm. started using second life to even host like online classes and online talks and online events online conferences so very interesting right because it almost feels as like the pandemic happened in early start began into early 2020 and then we had all of this movement towards the online space. And then we had different platforms there. Some of them were even created just so conferences could be held online. To be fair, we didn't have the presence of the video camera that much back then. Uh, it was mostly represented in the digital characters. We didn't have like the video conference. Like, of course, we had like, for example, I've been working remotely since 2015. And and I would use the, the video conferencing or even just audio. But... Um, the video conferencing 
as an added component to a digital world, that's something that I certainly think the pandemic accelerated. However, it's not as if we didn't have already the structure for these online conferences present in the platforms that RPGs hosted and Second Life hosted as well. We saw that happening. So it's kind of weird to think that, oh, because of the pandemic, now we have this metaverse. No, the metaverse was always there. I think the pandemic just accelerated, you know, the process. And just as it, uh, just as it accelerated the process of remote work. So we, 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 we already had the metaverse, but now we have a name for it, or at least we have a name that everyone uses, you know, before then we had like second life. Oh, what is second life? A digital 3d space for mingling and socializing. Oh no, no, no. It's not for mingling and socializing. It's for conferencing. You go there and you watch talks and it's amazing. And different schools are using it and you can actually uh, see the different spaces. Even the PlayStation, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the PlayStation home, they had a, a virtual space as well for you to check out the different games. So, again it's the the concept of inhabiting a 3d space was always there i think again what's happening from this point on is now that uh, at least both of us have already acknowledged that the the space was already there what's happening from this point on really is just that these spaces are being made more accessible if before they were sort of a niche experience now this is being pushed out there as something that everyone will use and have access to. So I think that's the main difference, really. And again, this goes back to what I was saying about the logline, right? And this goes back even to the concept of, wait, what's the difference between a cult independent indie movie and a cult indie game? to a blockbuster movie. Sometimes you have the same stories. Sometimes you have even the same tropes, but one is huge, has a very likely a, <laughs> a massive budget and can get the word out there using marketing, using just its production values, using its using big names, etc. So it's really about accessibility. And I think um, the, the whole discussion of what is the metaverse is, hey, the metaverse is something that has been around for a long time. But now for many people, it's something that you get to know of and that you even get to know its name or now it has a name. And it's these 3D spaces that we can inhabit and that we can use for several different purposes. It can be just for playing, but it can also, yes, be used to have conferences and it can also be used to do, I don't know, do some collective, uh, uh, do a collective mood board or do some flow charting, whatever it is, you can choose the purpose of that use. So when you're saying, you know, yeah, Metaverse because of marketing or timing or whatever it is, while it's been around for a decade and then some, probably even longer than that, it's really now come to the fore in the in public discourse. Now, what about stories, right? Stories is kind of the as, as old as time. We've had stories since humankind has existed. And, you know, in your world, would you say that fundamentally the stories that we tell each other have been the same, right? Like rivalry, love, romance, you know, perseverance, um, anger. Like those, those are human emotions that we've carried for a millennia. So would, would you say that you're really taking stories and maybe uh, making variations of them uh, and applying them to new technology or are there actually new stories? Very interesting question. I think it's a combination of both. Um, at a first glance, I would say, yes. These are the same stories being retold and retold and retold through variations. But then 
how can they be retold? My take is that we retell stories because not only do we have tried and true structures, and then we can go back to the hero's journey, for example, um, as much as, I mean, it's it's super common, right? Most people know the, the idea of the monomyth. Most people know that we have uh, mythology being retold through different characters and different uh, societies and tribes and cultures. But that is because we are dealing essentially with basic emotions. Stories are about emotions. And then we go back to the Coca-Cola example, right? It's about like, hmm, it's about feeling good. It's about, uh, or, or it's about revenge or it's about connecting with your family. It's, it's, or it's about love. Why do we have, like, think of music. I mean, music is also a fascinating way of, of telling stories. And because there are so many different ways to tell stories through music, right? But if you take a look, how many music, how many songs and tracks are out there about love? Like, I'd say it's most of them, you know, different variations. Of course, you've been hurt, but you still love or you love and you're happy because you're together. There are so many possibilities. But yes, the core emotion is you have found someone that you truly connect with or you maybe have even lost someone that you truly connected with. So again, we're dealing with the now it's not even a log line. It's just like a key, like one single word that defines the core emotion of that experience. So, yes, that's why I think we have been retelling um, the same. We have we have been using the same emotions to create variations of stories that already exist. However, there is one thing that I think is super, super, super interesting, which is the idea that no matter what type of story you're telling, there's also the um, the issue of context. What, uh, what is the context you're dealing with, right? And the context is especially relevant depending on the zeitgeist, depending on what are people talking about right now. So I just recently saw, I was taking a look at the... Uh, the Nebula Awards, the finalists for the Nebula Awards. And for context, the Nebula Awards, they're sort of like the, think of them as the Oscars of um, fantasy and science fiction. So they they award not only literature, but also games and shows, etc. And among the games, there is one particular, which is a tabletop RPG. Um, that is, I think it's the Wolf and the Crow. I might, I, I might uh, be not saying the right name right now. But it is essentially an RPG that like had a crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter and they wanted $18,000 initially and they got like over 1 million. And why? Why did it get so much uh, such a, a strong connection? How did people uh, really resonate with that? Because it is a tabletop RPG about a world where colonization never happened because and it's all made by natives and people who are natives of, of, of North America, of different continents. And they are telling for sure. I guarantee I haven't even read the RPG yet, but I can guarantee there will be what rivalries. There will be love. There will be betrayal. There will be all sorts of emotions that we're already used to dealing with. But they are presented in a different context, a context that is especially relevant today, which is discussing discussing diversity and inclusion. So when we talk about, you know, because, for example, there's this uh, author, super famous author, Harry Turtledove, and he specialized in writing what if stories. For example, what would happen if um, if the Axis won the Second World War? And then we even have stories like that with the uh, the man in the high castle, right? Even as a show. Yeah, watch that show. Great show. Yeah. So <laughs> amazing, right? And we, we have like what ifs are not uncommon. What ifs are actually 
the the genesis of every story that we tell because one of the easiest ways to come up with a story is seeing read the news and then ask yourself but what if something else happened and not by chance there's a show made by the MCU called The What If, which are animations that ask <laughs> what would happen. What if this? Uh, what if Thanos had not uh, gotten the 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 soul gems, the gemstones? What would happen? You know. So it's so interesting that we are always asking ourselves what would happen in this quote unquote parallel reality. But what happened to be, for example, a very relevant discussion when we were closer to 1940s, 1950s, thinking of world wars. Now, for example, is the discussion of inclusivity and diversity and these backgrounds that are so relevant and that come from from cultures that people know so little about. And I, and I mean, I personally can speak to that because I'm Brazilian. I come from Latin America. And uh, it's so interesting to see this, these connections, these clashes, these cultural clashes. And they're so positive and they're so amazing. So you get the chance to just really bring, uh, um, you know, like new life. You get the chance to, it's a breath of fresh air, you know, you get to, to offer more possibilities. But again, it's the context, it's the theme, but the core emotions, they are the same, you know, it's, we're going to be dealing with, because it's really what we, we connect with. Like it's, think of horror movies. There are so many, if you even think of the structure of a horror movie, typically they start with a mystery and eventually the mystery is revealed and then it turns into more of an action moment. Some movies, of course, end before that when you're just about to reveal the mystery, when you reveal the mystery and, and maybe the protagonist doesn't get the chance to fight back. But they deal with one singular emotion, which is fear, the primal emotion of fear. And this is an interesting coincidence. If you think of the comparison between TV and film and games when it comes to horror experiences, because we have obviously horror games, but horror games are the ones that literally force you to face your fears. Because if you don't do that, you're not going to be able to advance the story. So you have to take action. You have to, okay, again, going back to concepts we discussed, you have to take responsibility. You have to face your fear and you have to move forward with that specific action to see what's going to happen next. So for that reason, we even have a genre in the video game industry, which is called the survival horror, because it is a game that makes you survive and survive can take several different uh, can have several different meanings. It can be the management of resources, for example. So that is telling a story. Also, you asked about story. Super important. There is this concept of storytelling in games, which, in my opinion, applies to all platforms, but it is more noticeable in games, which is just the concept of we have in every storytelling platform, we have what I call or what people call where this is not a, a concept that I came up with. Um, it's an academic discussion. It, it's been around for quite some time. And it's the concept of embedded narrative. An embedded narrative is all of the content that you embed that platform with, right? As the screenwriter, as the storyteller, as the director, as even the programmer, you embed that experience with code. That code has meaning and that will communicate a certain experience, even if it's a game where you offer choices to the players and they can choose to either save someone or kill that person. Now, what happens when the player goes through that experience? Well, they choose one of these options, or even if they don't get like narrative driven choices, even if it's just Mario Brothers, and again, it's a platform and you're just jumping. And uh, at one point you accidentally make a wrong jump and you fall into the, this huge gap and you die and you lose and you're defeated. Well, that's your story. That's why we say 
it was going back to the Spider-Man example. That's why I defeated the Green Goblin and not someone else. So that is the concept of emergent narrative. And again, that's why I think it's so important to understand that whatever story we tell, it will always always be open to interpretation even if it's a book you can write a novel but you are not in control of what your audience will interpret from what you read from what they read you can try to be as explicit as possible and then of course that's a from a storyteller's perspective that it's a tricky balance right how much do you want that ending to be open-ended or how much do you want it to be left to open to to interpretation to to just really leave the audience to connect the symbols but then again yes whatever we create is always subject to analysis, to review. And that is an integral part of storytelling, understanding that we offer the resources and then it's up to the participants to connect the dots. Wow. I mean, Arthur, thank you very much for all that. It's, it's a lot of content that we've, you know, I've had to digest in here. I really love the fact that you said that it's really the context that's different, that fundamentally the stories have been the same, but you know, the what ifs and, and whatnot are, are great. Now, I do want to, uh, you know, just end the call here with maybe some rapid fire questions to get to know our, uh, our, our superhero of the day, um, you know, a <laughs> little bit it. more. Let's jump in. So um, favorite Disney character, let's use that. Wow, uh, favorite Disney character. Well, the first one that first came to my mind is uh, Elsa from Frozen. Elsa. Nice. Yeah. What is your favorite hobby that you had as a kid? Uh, I, I did a bit of everything. I just really loved like uh, writing. Oh, okay. Okay. So this is a good one. I loved when I couldn't even write. I used to draw comics and then I would recite the dialogues to my grandma and she would write in the dialogues for me. So that is something I really had a good time with just uh, creating comics, even if I didn't know how to write. Sweet or savory? Savory for sure. Rom-com, sci-fi, horror, or insert your favorite genre. I am a Black Mirror fan, so I'm always going to go for the, the the those stories that had deliver a punch to the gut and that make you really, really reflect on your existence. Do you like biking, swimming, or running? I like biking, but mm, I love the beach, so swimming. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, Place you're going to travel now that the restrictions look like they're starting to ease up. Wow. Excellent question. Um, I really, I want to go back to, to home. I want to visit Brazil again. Uh, but then if I get the chance, I want to explore other countries that I haven't visited yet in South America. Okay. Well, Hey, Arthur, thank you very much. It was a lovely chat and hearing kind of your mind work and understanding storytelling a little bit more, I think has been extremely, extremely rewarding for me. Thank you very much and congratulations on all your success. Thank you so much, Ted. This was a blast, truly an honor. And uh, I hope we stay in touch because uh, I really, really had a really good time. Well, thanks everybody for another great episode of Marketing News Canada. I'm Ted, this is Arthur, and we're signing off. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? 
Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.